0: Welcome back podcast listeners here for episode 145 and today today, Tony we have another friend of yours on, on, on with us. We do Tracy Lamb from Houston in Texas originally Australian Queensland girl uh, so I met Tracy and Tom probably about a year ago now.
1: Yeah that's yeah, right. So
0: it'd be about a year ago so it's uh, you reached out to us as an Australian expat living very successfully in the US and you're here in Melbourne today, so we're not doing this via Teams or Zoom. No. Uh, so, well, welcome to our office.
1: Oh, fantastic! Thank you. What a gorgeous view, and it's so it's great not bad, to. Is it? It's <laughs> not bad at all. The coffee's wonderful. The view is wonderful, and it's so great to be here in person and actually see the three D version of you. Too. That's right. So uh,
0: welcome back to Melbourne. So, it's, uh, and looking forward to dinner tonight. Oh, I, I am I, too. So, I yeah, am so too. Uh, it, w- it won't be a big Texas steak. Uh, it's a fusion Asian. I think we're having. Oh,
1: perfect. (laughs) That is perfect. And no better place for Fusion Asian than in Australia.
0: Very, very true. Very true. Um, I'm going to go back through, if it's okay, some of your very impressive uh, resume. It's, uh, so, 27 years of experience in commercial aviation, uh, 7,000 flight hours, domestic and international, on Boeing 737 for Virgin Australia. 11 years as a uh, flight instructing, Uh, Corporate international operations uh, in Australia and New Zealand, Asia-Pacific region including Papua New Guinea, uh, Nauru, experienced ISO 9000 2008 lead auditor, conducted over 80 safety audits and inspections on fixed wing, rotary wing and unmanned aircraft operators and maintenance organisations in Europe and Australasia including Hong Kong and China. Tracy led a global team for SGS Aerospace in developing remotely piloted aircraft systems, RPAS, inspection and audit capability based in London, UK, then later out of New York, USA. SGS is the world's largest testing inspection verification uh, certification company. As Vice President of Safety and Regulatory Affairs and Chief Pilot, AUVSI, Tracy led the organisation developing the world's first industry certification program for unmanned aircraft operator and system safety and remote pilot training. Also spearheading advocacy initiatives for practical UAS legislation in Washington. You are currently studying, resident? uh,
1: yeah, I am currently a um, I am PhD a PhD aviation. candidate PhD at Embry candidate. Riddle Aeronautical University. So
0: next year we are call you Dr. Lamb.
1: Oh yes, I hope you? we call <laughs> I hope we call me Dr. Lamb later this year. But okay, uh, so it's yes, like you
0: to be, uh, <laughs> and your father was Dr. Lamb. I learned that as well.
1: Yes, my dad had a PhD in mechanical engineering.
0: Okay, so which yeah. kind of makes sense in respect to a lot of us do follow. In our parents' footsteps in a lot of ways. So, to do a lot of the things you've done, uh, we've—I mean, we have your PhD in aviation, which you're currently studying, about to finish, master's business management aviation. Uh, Bachelor's Degree in Aviation, Diploma of Aeronautical Mathematics and Physics, University of Queensland, 2005. Diploma of Aviation Air Law, Airline Transport Pilots Licence, Command Multi-Engine Instrument Rating, Senior Flight Instructor Grade 1 with Multi-Engine Training Approval, uh, ISO 9000 Lead Auditor, Certified Unmanned Aircraft Remote Pilot, uh, level, uh, which is the top level three certified instructor, critical incident stress management counsellor, Virgin Pilots peer support group. Uh, former chair of uh, CASA, is it C-A-S-A? The
1: working group at yeah, CASA, working, working group. group two and four.
0: Uh, university lecturer, safety management systems, human factors, if we look at our window to the right at RMIT. Go <laughs> RMIT. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm,
1: I, that's my background too. That's I'm right. right. Yeah. It's not that big or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so glad, I'm glad Tony's had coffee yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and needed, needed the coffee. I don't know,
0: Tracy. it took Jamie seven years to do his three-year degree. <laughs> so <laughs> so. Um former member of the executive board of the uh, AAUS uh, UK CAA ambassador uh, AUVSI ambassador AUVSI representative of the on the FAA USAST and various ARCs and if we have a look at your work history <laughs> uh, just besides your volunteer at American Red Cross Blind Sport Australia and Angel Flight pilot and earth angel driver uh, we have some of, oh, uh, there are a whole lot of other qualifications, so <laughs> we'll go to, um, so I'm just going to show all experience, <laughs> here we go, so it's, um, I mean this this is impressive for someone who's only 29. Oh, absolutely, so, so, oh, I'm so,
1: only so, 21 actually. I I
0: apologise. <laughs> <laughs> so, You're a Senior Flight Instructor for the Australian Wings Academy, Uh, you have been Captain, Instructor and First Officer, Safety Officer, Project Aviation, Uh, Contractor Human Factors and CRM Facilitator at ANSET Aviation Training, Senior First Officer at Virgin Australia, Boeing 737-700-800, Domestic Routes and International Routes. Um, member of the Board of Directors, the AAUS Australian Association for Unmanned Systems.
1: Yes, big conference next week in Canberra, Canberra. everybody, yes. yes, bit of a plug there.
0: <laughs> the Global RPAS Safety Manager Aviation Advisor and Lead Auditor at SGS Aerospace. Uh, you have Manager of Safety Data Analysis at the Bristow Group in Houston, Texas, which what brought you to Houston uh, in Texas. Vice President, Regulatory and Safety Affairs and Chief Pilot, AUVSI in Arlington, Virginia. Arlington. Arlington. I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'll read that. Correct, not Arlington, Victoria. <laughs> uh, and your senior advisor, Regulatory and Safety at American Robotics, and now the for the last five months, the Chief Executive Officer at Quantum AI LLC in Houston, Texas. Yeah, Tracy, welcome. Gosh, um, (laughs) well, thank you, Tony. (laughs) Wow, wow,
1: um, and all of that on off your uh, off your phone there. That was I should have printed it out.
0: Tracy, one of the reasons we've asked you to come here today, I mentioned earlier, uh, last week was International Women's Day. Yeah. And a lot of the things you've studied, a lot of the areas you've worked in, uh, especially being a pilot, uh, is something that is very male-dominated. Yes. And we were speaking earlier about the fact, uh, or even, you know, what you studied in respect to your physics and uh, mathematics at Queensland University. Yeah. Can we talk about some of those early days you were the first female flight instructor where your school in in Queensland I think that was the case for 5 years was that correct Yeah
1: that's that's corru- that's correct actually um, you know it is a very aviation is a very male dominated industry a traditionally male dominated industry it's amazing females that have come up through aviation but it it still tends to be when I started you know nearly 30 years ago Um, You know, I I was the only female learning to fly at at the school that I was learning on the Gold Coast. And then as I went through my training, I noticed that I was the only female in a lot of these classes. Um, Once I became qualified, I noticed I was the only female uh, working as a flight instructor, uh, which was very unusual. Um, That was the case at a couple of places that I worked. up on the gold coast there were some charter operators and none of those charter operators had female pilots so you know for someone coming up and i you know obviously he was a lot younger back then it was very eye-opening to see and recognize hey i've gotten myself into an industry that is not really usual for females and that has other connotations like you know peer support and who do I reach out to if I have some challenges Were you or treated issues? differently?
0: Did you feel as though at least you were treated differently being a female in such a male-dominated industry?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You do recognise that and, um, you know, some of those... Did you recognise those...
0: it at the time or with the benefit of hindsight where, you know, nowadays it's, there's a lot of these male-dominated industries where it's just... You know, females are in them now, and our industries, as an example. Yeah. Um, so, did did you think at that much at the time, or? Was it still very much in your face then?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point you raise. I didn't realise it going into the industry because, you know, I just fell in love with aviation. I fell in love with the mechanics of the plane. I fell in love with the processes and the science. And I fell in love with flying and being up in the sky. And all of that was quite all consuming to the point that it wasn't really until I was quite entrenched in my training um, that I started to recognize hey I'm the only female who went solo this week and then you start to look around and you think actually I'm the only female that's gone solo in like five years in this school and that's when it started to hit me Um, as I went further and further into my aviation career, yes, then it was in my face because some of the experiences that I had being the only female, some were very positive and some were not so positive. Each of those experienced experiences shaped me and I tried to take the positive lessons from those experiences so that I would become stronger and move forward. And one of the lessons I took very early on is that the aircraft doesn't know I'm a girl. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) It is not going to show me any leniency because I'm a girl if I don't do my homework, if I don't have my skills... If I don't, whatever, I don't know my approaches, if I don't mo- know my emergency drills, the aircraft does not care. Mm. And I was very lucky. Merv Brewer was the chief pilot of the flying school I learnt to fly at, uh, at Air Gold Coast. Well, it was Air, it was called Gold Coast Aviation Centre back then. And he was a great mentor and great support and encouraged me through my, you know, long into my flying career as a flight instructor, as a senior flight instructor, John Chesterfield, uh, ex-military pilot, another fantastic male role model. But as I now reflect on my nearly 30 years of aviation, I've find that there have been some excellent male role models that have really meant a great deal and helped shape my career and kind of made up for all the doofus males that were would have tried to stifle it. Yeah. So if you can keep that positive outlook and never lose sight of the fact the aircraft doesn't know you're a girl and Um, your passion for aviation is non-gender specific and that's really what kept me going you know um, i always tried to be better than i could possibly be so i've always been my own competition Um, which is just as well because you find that you 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 know you are scrutinized a lot more than than a lot of guys that come through the industry. I recently wrote a paper on that actually about six months ago and presented it at a virtual conference in Sydney titled Gender Bias in the Australian Australian Aviation System, looking at a lot of the literature over the last 50 years. And um, generally generally speaking, um, you know, the females that are successful in aviation keep their mind on the job and they often do have good... Role models, some female, some male, as they go through.
0: Did you find, or did you feel, as though you were facing roadblocks by being a female, or even the first female, or the only female uh, that you weren't necessarily taking seriously by some of your counterparts? Uh, yeah. Or even other uh, males that you were actually studying with at the time. Yeah. You're know, studying to be a pilot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, you do. And for what reasons we don't know? Are they? Are they do you just come up against some males uh, and females that are insecure themselves? So mm. uh, they want to try to uh, put a roadblock in front of you or pull you down. Um, or it's just something they can't get their head around. You know, yeah. I, I once had, I once had one guy. I, I pulled up and I would just finished a charter in a, a four twenty one, a Cessna four twenty one, which is a quite a, a, a decent sized twin engine aircraft. And I parked it out the front of the hangar, and um, and I just finished a charter, and uh, my chief pilot was standing there kind of looking at the time saying okay that's great you're back on time kind of thing and apparently the guy that he was an instructor and commercial pilot next to him said how can she fly that <laughs> like how can she fly that she's a girl and i just looked at him and like what did he say he said, you're not strong enough to fly that, and I thought this guy it doesn't. You don't need power steering or anything with this guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just I thought to myself, what an unusual thing to say that. But that
0: came from a pilot. It
1: came from another pilot. So he
0: actually knows what it takes to actually. Is not a baggage handler so he knows what it takes to actually fly yeah
1: he was a fairly new commercial pilot he was a junior flight instructor he was an older gentleman too so you know you'd think he may have been around the traps and and knew better but um you know i pulled up in this big bigger in terms of what he what he was used to flying and he said how did she fly that she's not strong enough to fly that and apparently my chief pilot just gave him the look of death and he didn't say anything else. <laughs> yeah. But absolutely, you know, when I was a charter pilot um, flying Citation Ultra, um, I, I would have some of the passengers get on and, and one of the guys would say, oh, I'll have an orange juice when we get up there, thank you. And um, and I'd go, okay,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> no problem. Yep. And we didn't have a flight attendant on that little plane, so I have just had the Esky sitting next to me in the front and uh, he said are we going to wait for the pilot I said oh no I've seen this before (laughs) express that it'll be all right yeah. and his face was just so white and i yep. said don't worry i said i'm your pilot and honestly the guy
0: looked as, if now get your own <laughs>
1: looked as if he was about to die yeah
0: um
1: but you know i think you know it's kind of funny and i i did used to have a bit of fun with that when i was younger and uh, as and a charter pilot because yeah. most people would expect a, a guy you know handsome good-looking guy to come instead there's this shaggy little blonde thing that's, you know, showing up to fly the aircraft. So you know, I think it's that. Did you
0: ever get in the past and say, "So where are the keys? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how do you start this thing?"
1: <laughs> oh, I know this is something. You press something. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> so I did have a, I did have, a, I did have fun with it when I was younger and, and cuter. Um, <laughs> oh. But you know, it goes to, it goes to show that you know we judge people by their appearances. We yeah. we are conditioned from very early in our lives to have this cognitive bias, to have this gender stereotype bias. And, you know, we can blame everyone from Hollywood to, you know, to our parents or other role models. I mean, look at look at top the first version of Top Gun. Now, I haven't I'm seen the new version of Top I haven't seen the Gun. new version either, oh, I can't wait. But yep. apparently there's a female fighter pilot who's the hero. And I can't wait because, you know, back in the 80s, I watched the movie Top Gun and for some weird reason, I just was so jealous of Maverick. I just wanted to be like Maverick. Mm. But the thought of being a pilot never crossed my mind. You know, I I went home and I spent hours I got called goose a lot as a
0: kid, but I don't think I was ever a co-pilot. I think I was just a goose. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted
1: to be maverick. I just wanted to fly those things and it never crossed my mind.
0: Did you ride motorbikes really fast as well?
1: I did not because (laughs) only the boys rode motorcycles in my family until later life. So, you know, you grow up and, you know, through no one's fault, really. It's an awareness thing, especially when I was growing up that, Boys wear blue. Boys do this. You know, my father was a mechanical engineer. My mother was a hairdresser. What do you want to be, Tracy? Oh, I want, I want to be a graphic designer. Yep, that's gender appropriate. Go do that.
0: You know? But, Tracy, you, you actually gave me a good segue just before talking about Hollywood because as a charter pilot, you did charter around Matthew McConaughey for oh, uh, yes. for two months, wasn't it?
1: I, I was And you did stay, talk about secret-
0: Matthew's stereotype. You said in those two months you never actually saw him with a shirt on?
1: Okay, yes, there's a stereotype <laughs> for you. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey, that's a stereotype of a... Don't know what kind of
0: stereotype is just, he? A, just a big hunk of a guy just a big hunk gorgeous of guy big <laughs> so, hunk so. of a
1: man yep. so
0: we can agree to that can't we Willard, with our feeling <laughs> threatened <laughs> so, so, so he yeah. never
1: wore a shirt once i did five flights with him over about a gosh five flights over about a six month period i guess um picked him up from hamilton island in the citation flew him up to uh Kvyang in new guinea so he could go and do his diving and his surfing and he had Camilla with him. She was just
0: gorgeous. Really lovely people. She never said, Matthew, can you put a shirt on? She never <laughs> once. No. And
1: I never made him do it either. I
0: understand. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: But uh, it, was, it was good fun flying Matthew. He was very down to earth, very lovely guy. Um you know aviation's been very good to me i've flown all over the world i've flown movie stars i've flown politicians um i've often as you said before flown kylie minogue Mm. the kettle wasn't working in the aircraft when i flew kylie minogue the uh the hot water uh uh, urn was not working and all she wanted was a cup of green tea and i thought i've got kylie minogue here i'm her pilot and i Don't even have the hot water for her to make a cup of tea. How bad is that? Um, But she was beautiful. I had politicians. You know, um, what kind of career can give you that opportunity to not be able to make a cup of tea for Kylie Minogue or hear Matthew McConaughey's didgeridoo playing at 30,000 feet when he's not wearing a shirt. Um, you know, I, I've been very lucky. My time as Well, the p-
0: girls here are going to be very jealous now. Oh, they? yeah. And I have <laughs> photos.
1: I do have photos.
0: <laughs> and so you should. Oh, so gosh. it's uh, Yep.
1: Oh, it's good fun but you know aviation's been more to me than just flying yeah um, a lot of the first we talk you spoke a little bit earlier before we went on air about you know being the first at many things and one of the things that i've been really privileged is to be on the forefront of the regulatory side you yeah. know the development of regulations for unmanned oh, uncrewed aircraft systems for small commercial operators both here in australia we were had our uh, regulations codified in 2002, long before I even knew what a drone was. However, um, when commercial drones started happening, I was lucky enough to be at the forefront of that. So most people that. know
0: of drones as being military. So yeah. what's a commercial drone?
1: So commercial UAS is, um, they range in size and application. They can be something from uh, like a small DGI thing that you buy commercially off the shelf at... Um, jb hi-fi was in there the other day and 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 saw you know they've got a small selection of drones these are the sort of drones it depends on what you use them for if you're using these drones to make money so you're collecting photograph images or data for stockpile inspections or perhaps industrial inspections if you're going to make money off uh, your drone, um, then you're classified as a commercial operator, mm. and um, and if that is the case, you know you've got depending on the weight of your drone as well, you've got certain regulations that apply to you. So uh, back in about two thousand and twelve and thirteen, I joined that industry um, with my background in aviation. I really saw the need for safety systems to become a regular part of commercial drone operations especially in the higher reliability industries like oil and gas and mining and uh, industrial inspections so that really uh, I guess captured my interest and got me into the regulatory side of uh, uncrewed systems and that took me all over the world which was a bit more exciting than seeing Matthew McConaughey without a shirt. Sorry Matthew but I just have to say that.
0: No, you have the privilege of being able to decide that but there still might be a few girls in here which might disagree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well he is going to run, apparently he is thinking of running for uh, governor of Texas. Is he? So he definitely has my vote.
0: Does he need a pilot? (laughs) Oh,
1: I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has plenty of pilots over there in the States.
0: It's interesting that you speak about the the drones, because I think it was a couple of years ago, it might have been during COVID, I'm not too sure, but uh, some guys had their drones. I was sitting in their hot tub, flew the drone to Bunnings uh, with a piece of paper, and got a sausage I uh, a sausage in bread, and now they got fined for that. Yes, I heard. That yeah, made so the news,
1: uh, that actually made the news all the way over to the States. I mean,
0: the Bunnings, you know, sausages in bread are They are, are pretty renowned. good. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've
1: got to have one. I haven't had one since I've been back. I've only been back a week. I need to have another one. I've
0: never gone into <laughs> a Bunnings, but I've had plenty of sausages in bread. Oh, it's <laughs> so worth going it's there
1: for the sausage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: No, but its, it's uh, I do remember that. So basically what you're saying is, You've written the uh, or been part of writing the rules around all that.
1: Definitely been part of shaping a lot. Because they're talking
0: about the likes of Amazon and things like that doing delivering with drones now. Yeah, correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I got into this and uh, actually was the chair of two working groups for CASA back in twenty. uh, 2013, 2014, um, which is where I met some awesome people, uh, Dr. Reese Clothier, one of my most favourite people in the in the world, um, he was a professor at RMIT, um, and Jim Coyne and a heap of other people that are very active in contributing to shaping the regulatory landscape for commercial UAS, and also for the way we have our relationship with risk and, and safety management around UAS too. Um, so, yeah, that started for me uh, and kicked off this whole new career, which took me over to live in London. And that's how I started to work with the UK CAA, Civil Aviation Authority, over there and ended up getting put onto the International Civil Aviation Organization's RPAS panel, which I still actually serve in that capacity. And ICAO have just made me a subject matter expert on UAS regulations globally. Although I have to say for the last six and a half, nearly seven years, my work has been focused in the United States um, through the FAA. And it's the FAA who are actually funding my research, my PhD research through Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. So working closely with the FAA on a lot of their aviation rulemaking committees. Uh, The most recent one was the BVLOS ARC, which is the um, flying the drone beyond your visual line of sight. And also working on concepts like one-to-many um, One-to-many operations. So one remote pilot uh, sitting in a room able to control, you know, three, four, five, or ten drones at, at the same one, time. At the same time, yes.
0: What, where, under what circumstances would? You yeah, do like what? Like, what science, like Everyone should see Tony's it, face. Is this uh, ten Amazon packages all going to the same address, or?
1: Oh, probably not the same address. <laughs> yeah. Probably different addresses. But yeah. you know, we're getting to a stage. In our uh, level of, or you know, autom- autom- autonomous flight and the automatic flight, and the different levels, that it really is now feasible, especially with the technology that we have, that one drone operator can simultaneously control two or three drones at
0: once
1: we're not there from the regulatory standpoint yet and um you know that may still be a little ways off on mass scale but certainly that's where we're headed with operations like you said with amazon you know um you know being able to control you know the central control room looks like an air traffic control um operations hub you know and uh, you know, it's it's quite feasible that. Because there's been talk, more.
0: there's been talk for many years ever since you know uh, we were kids, where they'd have unmanned fighter jets, no requirement for Maverick or Goose anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, but
1: well, we definitely have those, you know, um, with the Predators and the Reapers and the Global Hawks. You know, they're all unmanned unmanned military drones that do incredible work of surveillance the but tritons here in I mean, australia
0: okay so y- you're mentioning uh now i don't know what they look like so i'm thinking the f111 which is i know is ancient now <laughs> uh so if i'm thinking say the f111 so a fighter jet uh, some, something like the fighter jet you see in say top gun as an example and having them as unmanned fighter jets is is that something that is still or is it still just no, they're still talking about it. No,
1: it's definitely not pie in the sky stuff. It's yeah. definitely. I mean, you look at the Cayman. The Cayman looks like a helicopter from the nineteen thirties, a big bubble top. But they actually make that optionally piloted now, and that's pretty impressive looking as well. Okay. So now they well, they also have optionally piloted aircraft. I was at heli Expo in Dallas two weeks ago and uh, had a look at that aircraft for the first time. And although it's been optionally piloted for a long time, uh. You know, that concept is not pie in the sky anymore. That stuff is actually happening. I mean, even back in 2013, I think RMIT University did an unmanned flight of a Cessna 172 down here at Moorabbin. So, you know, the military-grade drones that are quite big, yeah. the, the Global Hawk has a wingspan of more than 32 feet. Greater, better, bigger wingspan span than the Boeing 737 I used okay. to fly. Wow. So, yeah, and, you know, a lot of them, the Australia, I think we ordered, I believe, six Triton uh, unmanned aircraft systems. Not so long ago, um, you know, these are serious. These are serious surveillance military yeah. military drones. I and mean, you only have to look at what's happening in the Ukraine at the moment. They're using anything they can get a hold of right now from really small off the shelf drones for video surveillance to help them defend their country, um, as well as the military grade uh, drones that are actually firing missiles on. On some of the the, the ground um, military that that is there,
0: so. I'm you a question there, Tracy. So yeah. there's because um, I, I will loop back to your time at Virgin. Um, as yes, a pilot absolutely. As well. And do
1: be, do be aware that I am not a, I'm a civilian pilot. So yes, no, I no, <laughs> I
0: totally understand that.
1: I just wish I was Maverick.
0: Okay, but the kind of understandable, <laughs> so it's uh, I get to fly really fast jets. <laughs> um, you're, we've, you see Tesla at the moment who are uh, trialling unmanned trucks. Yes. Now we we know uh, trucks are required uh, just to be able to move freight all around countries. US, a lot of truckies in the US, a lot of uh, trucks here in Australia as well. From that perspective, where Tesla are talking about having unmanned trucks, uh, at the I think it's it's having somebody sitting in a you know basically a terminal at the moment, but, but still having an unmanned truck. Do you see the day, one day in the future, where there won't be a civilian commercial pilot required? I mean, as an example, I I hate the idea of not having to re- drive my car, because I love driving my car. Yeah. I don't know how comfortable I would feel jumping on a plane uh, and actually not having a pilot, the plane takes off and just goes there and not actually having you sitting at the pointy end of the plane making sure it does get up and, and land, uh, you know, properly.
1: So you make a really good point because one of the uh, barriers to uh, full-scale urban air mobility or even driverless trucks or the cars is that relationship that humans have with autonomy Mm. and that's one of the biggest challenges that nasa has you know recognized for implementing urban air mobility and you know in the united states they call it uh, community acceptance in uh, europe and here they call it social license or uh, just general um you know the the community acceptance of autonomy and it is a big challenge one of the ways to overcome that is to uh, have a walk crawl run approach to implementing this technology so you know when you look at an eve air mobility um, they're very prominent here in melbourne with our local government here one of the most forward-leaning state governments in the world that have partnered with EVE Urban Air Mobility to actually think about having that concept of operation for urban air mobility operating here um, to start to figure out solutions to those challenges. And I don't think that, you know, they're not going to go straight into autonomous operations. There will be pilots in those craft for the foreseeable future until we as a society and as operators and as companies implementing this know that we can trust the autonomy, Mm. okay? The autonomy is trustworthy, but we don't actually have that exposure to that yet at the moment. And I think that there's going to be a lot of scrapes and teething problems along the way i mean you're having a look at tesla right now with you know there was a lawsuit only fairly recently that just got settled about the autonomy not warning the driver in time to avoid hitting a pedestrian
0: yeah
1: and and that sort of thing is is quite tragic because as humans we need to trust the autonomy but we also need to have a certain level of respect for the autonomy and the autonomy must be human centric yep. so it must be able to work with us as humans because we as humans have limitations you know we get bored and we switch off we check our phones where we should probably be monitoring the
0: autonomy it's interesting because my car tells me everything i'm doing wrong as i'm driving it so it'll uh it'll you know warn me if i'm going over to speed so that's constantly going off yep. the it's um if i change lanes without indicating yep. it, it'll warn me yeah uh it obviously it beeps if I am changing lanes, and it feels as though there's something there. Yep. Uh, so, so it'll beep at me. So, you know. So you're it,
1: building up a relationship with trust with your with your car, but well it's just it, annoying. Yeah, no. and there <laughs> so, you go. So. And it's annoying. But so it that, a,
0: though, if you're even getting too close to the lane, it will actually a vibration goes through the steering wheel. Yes. And that's I suppose if I was driving the country feeling drowsy and about to go off the road it actually vibrates through the steering wheel although i'm not off the road or it's just because i'm too close yeah to that lane
1: so you as a human um have already started your relationship with this car you can i like my car yeah you do and it's keeping you safe you've expressed (laughs) the fact that you trust it to keep you safe um you do get frustrated with it um but some of the other human Uh, normal human interactions we have with autonomy is boredom, you know, boredom, complacency, or we decide we're going to do a workaround. You know, so you might find that, oh, this thing always beeps when I go just a little too close to the lane. I'm just going to ignore it because I know best. Yeah. You know, that sort of relationship with autonomy is something that every human is going to have to start to uh, experience because our, our cars, trucks, etc. are going to become increasingly more autonomous. Well, what's
0: interesting, if I'm driving on a country road, two lanes, uh, and I have overtaken a car... And you know, So two lanes on both sides, so it's not as if I've got un- oncoming traffic towards me, and I will overtake the car, if there's no cars behind me, and maybe it's just from driving in Europe too long, but if there's no cars behind me, I wouldn't indicate, I would just go out, overtake the car or the truck, and then come back in. Yeah. Uh, very safe, no cars coming towards, There's no. well they can't be because then they're on the wrong side of the road. But the car now tells me, and as a result of that, I now actually indicate. Uh, (laughs) So so you've changed
1: your behaviour. Yeah, well, (laughs) I I
0: haven't necessarily put anyone at risk. There's, as I said, under no circumstance should there be any oncoming traffic either coming towards me. You know, I'm not doing 140 kilometres an hour or anything like that. So, but it's actually more the case of the car has actually made me indicate. Now, if I'm in the suburbs, I always indicate. Uh, But it was just that thought process. And maybe that was just watching my dad do that uh, when I was a kid. You know, so it's. Uh, but it was. It was interesting that now driving in the country, I will indicate even when there's no reason to indicate yeah, uh, on yeah. that basis, so, because the car keeps telling me to do that. So
1: the autonomy in your case has shaped your behaviour f- in a more positive way.
0: That's right. Yeah. 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 And the
1: interesting thing is that's what autonomy can do to us. You know, human-centric systems can sh- well do can and do shape our behaviour. And then that has a direct impact on the outcome: safety or not so safe.
0: Well, I suppose is simple things of that is like the phone. It's changed all of our behaviour. Definitely. Uh, just because it's it's no longer a phone.
1: Absolutely. And you know, uh, driverless cars, aircraft are going to all have the same impact on our lives moving forward. Especially as you know, automation and technology increases at such a rate that it's you know difficult for us to actually keep up with it including the regulations and insurance and the legal side all of those things are, you know have to keep pace with technology now and sometimes that's a pretty wild ride for us all to hang on to but you know they've had driverless uh, trucks in the trucking industry for many years caterpillar up in yeah. the mines in western australia have had autonomous trucks for a long time autonomous trains yeah australia is a great country for autonomy okay yeah
0: with um i just want to loop back to virgin okay working, Let's a, loop virgin, back. R- yes. working a virgin
1: love virgin love my virgin mates out there
0: how, how did you feel that first time when you're walking in the airport and you have got your pilot's uniform on you're, you're not a blonde female in a red uniform uh you have your pilots uniform on yeah. you have your tags on your shoulder yeah. um, and you have your and we will we will put a photo up of you but you've got long blonde hair yeah, <laughs> okay I guess. so it's um and did you feel as though everyone was staring at you how did you feel walking towards and then getting on the plane and turning left when you, you know, got on know absolutely
1: plane? and that's something that never went away i was always so proud to put on that virgin australia uniform mm. and walking through uh the terminal i was cognizant that i was an example and an example for young girls and... and um, Great role and model. It was a really yeah. uh, amazing thing to recognise that I was in a position where I could be a role model. And one day I was actually walking through the terminal and um, a mum was uh, standing there with her little girl and the mum said, oh, look at the cute little girl pilot. And <laughs> I <just laughs> just nearly laughed i thought that was the standout most hilarious thing i'd ever heard in my life look at the cute little girl pilot and the little (laughs) girl looked at me and went ah with her mouth hanging open and i thought "Mm, okay i think the mum could have said something a little more normal but there's another example of how you know we're conditioned to be surprised But no, I always look, felt, darling.
0: That that, that pilot there looks like a woman. Yeah,
1: just that, <laughs> oh look, that lady's a pilot. That's right. Yeah. Um, but no, look, I was always very proud. I always felt very proud to to be. But in you that must role. have had a
0: lot of eyes looking at you. See, so you see a pilot walking down, and we're not talking "Catch Me If You Can" with Leonardo DiCaprio, where everyone wow, the pilot, the pilot. Yes. But, you know, you if a pilot walks down, you don't even look twice at them. But we've now got a female pilot where there was only a few of you uh, mm-hmm. walking down the terminal, and you are there. You must have surely felt that everyone did look at you.
1: Oh, I definitely. I felt wouldn't look that. twice
0: at a male, but basically, if, if I'd seen a female pilot, it would have been, wow, I've just seen my first female pilot. Look, you know, so that's
1: right. Yeah. And I was just extremely glad that Virgin Australia gave us trousers that zipped up at the side because walking through the terminal you know everyone's looking at you and i I've, I've kid you not thank goodness there was absolutely no opportunity for me to walk along with my fly undone so I was very very happy about that because you know I was conscious that when I stepped out of that flight deck you know and and on a you know on a flight where I had need to get up and go to the the restroom during yeah. the flight, which does happen. Sydney to Perth or yeah. Melbourne to Brizzy or whatever, you know, you will time it where hey, you've got to go, yeah, and uh, you really get used to the fact that you're able to go and do your business quickly when you know about 182 eyes are seeing you walking into the restroom. Yeah. So, yep.
0: <laughs> but how, how did it feel then? You now you'd already been a pilot and flown yeah. many, many pl- planes before. Yeah. Um, and all different types. But how did it feel that first time, the first time you got on the Jumbo or the the,
1: the 737? Never flew the Jumbo. No, the 737
0: and turned left and went into the cockpit as the you're actually now there, you're flying the plane, and this is no longer practice, this is the real thing.
1: Yeah, I'll never forget, I'll never forget my first day. The, I'd gone through all of the training for Virgin Australia, I'd gone through all of the simulator training, I'd been checked to line, you know, everything was 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 done and dusted and it was my first day flying where I was the first officer. Mm-hmm. And it was my leg. And you know the captain said to me, Well you got this one. And I I it was overwhelming. It was it was such a mixture of so proud mm-hmm. to have this opportunity. So um amazed that all of my work for so many years working in general aviation had paid off and i had you know had the privilege and the opportunity um to earn that right that that right hand seat in the 737 and the butterflies and also then the tremendous responsibility that hey you know remember what i said at the beginning of the podcast You, the aircraft doesn't really care what you look like, or if you're a chick or a bloke. Yep. uh, That you are, you are flying that aircraft, and you better damn well fly it well because you've got 180 people sitting behind you that are counting on you to be on the top of your game. Yeah. To to deliver. So, um, you know, I've always come from a a family and a background where if you're going to do something, do it well. Or don't do it at all
0: if I'm a passenger I'm happy for you to do it well
1: yeah exactly <laughs> so, <laughs> right exactly right. Yep. exactly so for me you know although it was great no oh, yes I was proud walking through the terminal and yes people definitely would stare and I definitely had to make sure I didn't have ketchup on my face or whatever because I knew people you know you're a focal point
0: yeah
1: um, but one thing that feeling dissipates as soon as your backside gets in that seat and you start running through your checklists and you start, you know, you get to work. You roll up your sleeves and you get to work. Yeah. And um and that's something that you know my work is what keeps me going. You know, I'm, I don't fly aircraft anymore, but I deal in regulations. I deal in safety. Yeah. Um, I deal in and looking at risk assessments and uh, figuring out how to make things better and. And that's the work I'm doing now, which is no one looks at me. Thank goodness, I could have my fly undone, and no one, frankly, would know. Plus, I'm getting older, <laughs> yeah. but I, yeah. you know, I still have that same approach to my work yeah. than I did when I was flying.
0: Well, it's—I mean—you've got a very impressive uh, CV, and you're the first. You're the first first female and first person in a lot of cases, uh, and a lot of things that you've actually done. Uh, so, and that just makes you a wonderful role model for so many, uh, you know, I'm going to make sure my nieces oh, uh, thanks, listen Tyler. to your podcast because they, they'll be the first females in whatever they decide to do as well. There. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they've had a magnificent role model in their mother, my sister, yeah, um, as well. So you better remember I said that, Michelle. <laughs> um, but in saying that, you're now uh, the CEO of Quantum AI. Yes. Where is that leading you? What 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 is Quantum AI? Tell us about the business.
1: Yeah, thank you. Okay. So you know, I I left uh, I I left to take a sabbatical from the industry two and a half years ago. I was the vice president of regulatory and safety affairs at AUVSI, which is the Association for Uncrewed Systems International. That was a, a is a great association over in uh, DC mm-hmm. in the United States. And I left because this poor PhD of mine has been on my shoulders. For the last seven or eight years and I took a leave of absence from it and I got to a point where I had to either focus on that and get it done or walk away from it completely so I decided that I'd walk away from my career and I did that and I uh, started studying full-time as I said to you I through Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in the States um, lucky enough to jag a, a role as a resident student back then and the FAA's funded my research which is great got through all of my classes and all the rest of it became a candidate last year which basically means now I'm just in that dissertation phase um and what happened as soon as I decided to get out of the industry covid hit oh my goodness i didn't plan that i had no idea it was coming <laughs> but what a time to hide in academia when there's nothing else that i could sure. have been doing anyway So that was really, for me, uh, incredible timing that I was locked away in academia anyway. But at the end of uh, last year, November, I started thinking, you know, this PhD is almost finished. Mm. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, I have so much experience in aviation and drones and um, commercial, commercial drones. And there's so much and safety and risk and i thought there's so much i want to do for the industry i really want to be a driver for practical legislation and practical policy so that the regulations that we make help the regulators not only in the united states but around the world keep up and not stifle innovation and the only way to do that is through practical safety risk and a relationship with risk, risk and resilience essentially. So because that is the key to unlocking all of these uh, new joint ventures that we have with our relationship with autonomy. Yeah. You know, and the regulators need help keeping up with the capability of autonomy. We as an industry need help integrating autonomies safely and as humans having s- human-centric systems so how how can i how can i help the industry do that and one of the answers to my reflective questions was well if you start your own company you can instead of being blocked into one company um you can actually help lots of different companies yeah so quantum ai quantum quantum because Um, Safety and risk starts at the tiniest little seed level, right? The parable of the mustard seed there, you know what I mean? It starts – risk and safety start as a thought, right? And then it grows from there because what you think about changes your behaviour. Your behaviour changes your actions, you know and that's the same through you know you you deconstruct any aviation accident you can always dismantle it right until the human who had a thought it might have been the wrong thought or the wrong understanding so that's the quantum side the ai is artificial intelligence um but it also because i am working on software right now but it also stands for aviation intelligence okay so it's a bit of a play on words so quantum ai is all about uh, risk and resilience in autonomous systems um, where we uh, look at um, integrating the human-centric factors into autonomous systems. Yeah. So at the moment, I am very privileged that um, my philosophy on risk and safety uh, mirrors that of American robotics. So they actually uh, took me on board uh, this January. And I've been consulting with them for a little while now, which is fantastic. I'm developing a software program that will uh, harness predictive analytics for risk assessment uh, that will process not only helping organisations marry their operations towards safety management system framework, but also... In aviation or in general? Aviation, advanced aviation, autonomous trucking driverless cars okay so the key is it's autonomy centric yeah so it doesn't matter if it's if it uh, floats flies or uh, goes along the road
0: yeah okay.
1: uh, if it requires a strong relationship between autonomy and risk or safety management systems that's where our quantum AI has the software platform called airs to actually help organizations who rely on autonomy uh, and, well, need, okay. and need structured safety management systems to be able to get advanced approvals um, from their regulator. Obviously, at the moment, I'm in the United States helping uh, organisations get greater regulatory approvals for with the FAA. Yeah. Uh, but the same goes for here in Australia and the UK as well. So, yeah, so that's what Quantum AI is all about. And I'm absolutely loving the fact that you know, I'm able to give back and contribute to the industry, and share my thirty years of knowledge in aviation, branching into those other um, high tech autonomous industries. And you've of course, a, that's what, actu- that's what my act- PhD is all about. But you've as well. actually you've
0: actually <laughs> grown with the industry. It's not as though you're still just a pilot. And I say they didn't see the inverted commas there, but yeah. you know what I'm saying. You've actually grown and gone beyond uh, that as well, as per you know how technology is actually driving us you're actually one of the people driving that technology as well
1: yeah developing it yeah yeah now that you say that i i haven't thought of that You're quite right you've actually
0: grown you haven't stayed in what you're doing which is a very high profile job one of the highest profiles but you've actually grown
1: that's true that's actually very true and i sometimes need to actually i think we all probably sometimes need to stop in our journey and look back yeah. And how high we've climbed up the mountain and what we've done. And Absolutely, we've
0: and just remind ourselves at times. Yeah, because
1: yeah. I, I do forget. You know, I yeah. I still feel I may mean, I get so focused on my job and my role and my deliverables that I forget to stop and smell the roses and look back and say, Hey, actually, you know, wow, I've done a lot. Actually,
0: I have uh, two final questions. So, without notice, the first one is you mentioned NASA before, and the first thing that popped into my head was Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) So, it was, um, and in saying that, uh, so if Jamie and I do end up in Houston, uh, Houston in uh, June, do you have any special contacts in NASA so we can actually get a good tour?
1: Oh, absolutely. I have the best contacts I was in hoping NASA. that
0: was the answer. And you know what? <laughs> so
1: uh, my girlfriend, Donita, yep. she is one of my PhD colleagues. Donita,
0: we can't wait to meet you. <laughs> she
1: is absolutely. She actually works at the uh, NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. She's actually with Boeing. But she is the one that can take you through on the tour and she's been promising me uh, since just before COVID started that she would take me through. She is an engineer that looks after the systems on the space station. So she is an amazing lady. Looking forward to meeting you, Denita. She's going to graduate (laughs) this year as well. In fact, she is getting ready to defend her proposal as we speak yeah and uh when you come over we'll have to get her on the podcast
0: it's houston we have a problem because jamie's turning up to nasa don't let him touch things <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, what's that what's that too so it's um last question uh question without notice but there are you know there's there's I, I have a lot of my female friends are very strong and very successful females um so and And I've always, I suppose, been drawn to them because my mum is one of them. So she lacked self-confidence, made us grow up with massive self-confidence. My sister is definitely, you know, very strong. And her daughters, uh, you know, are just amazing young girls. Your role model to a lot of these young girls uh, who might have seen you on that virgin poster uh back in 2012 wasn't it the That's afl it. virgin yeah, poster yeah, so yeah yeah and probably oh,
1: look, i was the oh, little oh, female oh, pilot yeah the
0: <laughs> little female pilot she's probably a model
1: oh yeah they well yeah well that'd be nice if they thought that <laughs> no true
0: but but it's interesting that i wonder how many people did think that and didn't actually say you know yeah she's Virgin. she's actually she's a real pilot, a real pilot yeah. you know so it's um so but just based on that what do you say to these young girls in respect to growing up? We grew up in a different world, we're similar ages, yeah, yeah. we grew up in a, dif- a different world so our parents grew up in a yes. very different world, certainly very, very sexist. Yeah. Um, what do you say to these young girls growing up today in respect to, you know, anything's achievable? What would, you, what would, what would a young Tracy Lamb say to uh, to these young, young girls today who are going to be the changes of our world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic uh, way to, to finish as well. I would say to my young self, um, keep doing what you're doing. Do, find something you really love. If you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life you know. So firstly, do something that's in your heart that you love. And if that's flying an airplane or becoming a lawyer or being a neurosurgeon or working at the space station or becoming an astronaut or being a truck driver, you know, if that's what you want to do, do it and then focus on, on your job and yourself. And because, you know, if you're doing what you love, it'll fill you up, it'll give you pleasure, it'll satisfy your creative side or your yearning for academia or whatever. And the other advice is, is if you do come across those hurdles or those people that are not supportive, don't really pay them that mind. You can take the lesson from them but make sure it's a positive lesson for yourself. Oh I will you know, I don't, I, I will be better, stronger, or faster, or I won't let this person um, make me second guess myself. Use that as a tool to make yourself stronger. So, if you can flip any negative that you instantly perceive as negative into a positive somehow, then absolutely just keep forging forward and you'll achieve your dreams. But also keep an open mind because. I never believed, I never thought for a minute that I would become a pilot when I was a young woman. Uh, I became a pilot. I followed my passion. I followed my bliss. I was dedicated every step of the way to that passion. And my open mind, I guess, has led me on this journey that here am I, you know, leading regulatory and policy and safety organizations through. Times that I couldn't have even thought possible back, even when I was a pilot. So, um, stay dedicated to what drives
0: you. And I, I think I just want to add one more thing to that. Yeah. Um, I, I will also disclose the fact that you're also a wife and you're also yes. a mother. Yes, <gasps> yeah, yes. yes, yes so your son does <laughs> live here in Melbourne, <laughs> yeah, and you does. know, so it's. So it's not as if you followed your heart, your career and your passion to the detriment of uh, raising your son, to the detriment of anything else in your life at all. So Absolutely. and So it's, it's, following a passion doesn't mean to the detriment of any other thing that you want to achieve in life as well.
1: That's correct. In fact, it's, it's quite funny that you say that because my son is now, oh yes, he's living here in Melbourne. He's a uh, successful junior executive. Uh, he never wanted to become a pilot um, I, I offered it to him he said no mum what become a pilot like my mother <laughs> but yep. one thing that I always that always drove me ever since he was a little tiny boy is I wanted him to be proud of me I wanted him to see um, I wanted him to see what you could do with your life and we're very close and I'm very lucky in the sense that he has taken you know he has seen my career, develop and grow over his you know 29 years mm. and you know he's he's learnt lessons from watching me go through that mum he'll say what do you do when this and he comes to me for advice and he says but did you find this difficult when you were going through this or whatever even though he's not in aviation what astounds me is that by osmosis he's picked up a lot of those get up brush yourself off and keep going lessons and that does that absolutely floors me
0: that Tracy I think the greatest thing for any young man in life is to have a strong, strong
1: mum exactly yeah, and I wanted him to have a strong, strong mum, mum. Yeah, so, so it's, uh, yeah. and,
0: and he certainly has so yeah. I want to sincerely thank you You've flown all the way in from Texas for this oh Don't yes worry. especially for this <laughs> so and uh,
1: I would have gone to the ends of the earth Tony no
0: it has been absolutely wonderful thank really you. looking forward to coming over to the US uh, you know if we're in Texas we're certainly going to go to houston i can't wait to meet tom yeah, um as well so we have met over zoom zoom yes. teams one of them yes so it's um as well so really looking forward to that tracy thank you so much for today
1: thank you tony you're most welcome it's absolute pleasure